Hey, it's Guy here. Hope you're well. Welcome to another episode of Creative Forces. Um, I've just eaten a, perhaps unwisely, a chocolate digestive, which was delicious, but it's still kind of hanging around a bit in the teeth. So uh, if I sound a bit funny, I'm talking a bit slower than normal, then that's why. Uh, anyway, welcome again to the uh, the podcast. Thanks again for listening. If you want to get in touch, please do creativeforcespod at gmail.com or at creativeforcesp. Give us a follow uh, or send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Anyway, this uh, episode, Emma Kennedy is the guest. She is a best-selling author, TV writer, actor and presenter. She went to Oxford University where she met and performed with uh, comedians Richard Herring and Stuart Lee and then spent three years as a solicitor uh, before realising she'd made the wrong decision and quitting to become a full-time writer. And since then, she's written for and starred in TV shows like Goodness Gracious Me, This Morning with Richard Not Judy, The Smoking Room, also was one of the main writers on Late Lunch with Mel and Sue, uh, and also wrote The Kennedys, a BBC comedy series that was based on her childhood. Now, her first book, How to Bring Up Your Parents, came out in 2007, and her second, The Tent, The Bucket and Me, uh, came two years later, and since then she's written eight more books, uh, including the Wilma Tenderfoot series of kids' books. And in amongst all of that, if, you know, if that wasn't enough for anybody, she's also won Celebrity Masterchef and Celebrity Mastermind. Now, in this uh, really funny and lovely interview, which we recorded at uh, Emma's house, she hear how she uh, defied all expectations to get to Oxford, uh, why she knew straight away she'd made a big mistake becoming a lawyer and why she has a newfound love of lego so <laughs> thank you for uh, inviting me here it's really nice it's such a lovely day i know it's, it, we, we've we've locked out haven't we i know so we're sitting in your very nice front rooms and we've got three uh other people here with us just we've, tell us who they we've, are we have two multipoos uh one is called uh, molly and the other one is a puppy that's called uh, Pippin, and they, um, uh, they're not related, they look related, but they're not. Um, and then lying in front of them in a very sorry state is, is my 18-year-old Beagle, who we fear is not long for this world. Oh, no. We, we almost cancelled uh, yesterday, didn't we? Because yes. I, had, I had to do a, a dash, emergency dash to the vet. Um, so we're, we're, we have to keep all our fingers crossed for her at the moment. But, yeah, you know. well, I hope she's okay. So if you can hear snoring in the background. <laughs> that's, it's Poppy that's That's Poppy, snoring. the 18-year-old yeah. beagle, yeah. Okay. It, it's, not, it, it's not another human who is finding our conversation <laughs> so tedious <laughs> that they've actually gone to sleep. <laughs> well, yeah, I hope Poppy's okay. It's nice to see the three of them just hanging out together, actually, isn't it? Yeah, they're chilling. Yeah. They're chilling. I couldn't help notice as well the bass guitar. Yes. As a, as a bass player, is that your bass guitar? It is my bass guitar, yes. I was very briefly in a band called Vaginal Tap. Right. Um, when When was this? Gosh, it must have been about, oh, about 10 years ago now. Right. And... Um, it, it, it was for it, we got together for um, the the Leon Herring um, this morning with Not Judy reunion yeah. show that they did at the Lyric Hammersmith. Right. And um, and Herring uh, rang me and said, um, "Do you want to do something for it?" And I thought, you know, I've always har- harboured a secret desire to either be in a musical or be in a band right and the only thing that that is that is slightly sort of hampered me in this regard is that i can't sing (laughs) 
Okay. I can't sing and I can't technically play an instrument. How, how bad are we talking so, singing-wise? Oh, well, I, I mean, I can tell you another story about, about how bad my singing was. So, okay, okay well, we'll segue. Yeah. We'll, we'll, okay, we're going to sidestep into this other story. So I got a call from my agent and she said, um, Mamma Mia would like to see you for uh, one of the main parts. And I said, um, okay, um, I'm afraid you're going to have to phone them and tell them <laughs> that I can't sing. Okay. And she said, oh, oh, okay, okay. I get another call from my agent. <laughs> I've spoken to Mamma Mia. They don't mind that you can't okay, sing. Okay, okay, this is good. So can you please go in for the audition? And I said, I said no, hang on, hang on a minute. Pe- <laughs> people pay very good money to go and see Mamma Mia, yeah. the, the stage show. Uh, they're not gonna you know i wouldn't want to pay 60 quid to see um, one of the main characters not being able to sing and she said no they i've told them and they still want to see you right so i said oh well okay and what do they want me to sing they they want you to sing dancing queen (laughs) now i don't know if you know but but like dancing queen is technically a very very difficult i'm just thinking about the sort of melody it goes pretty high i think doesn't it enormously high (laughs) sort of like where dogs can only hear it that 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 sort of high and um uh they sent me the sheet music and i had a little practice uh and then I decided I had to go to a field near my parents' house and stand in the middle of it in order to practice. Because at that time I, I lived in London right. with neighbours either side <laughs> and thought I can't subject so you, that. You were belting it out yeah. in this practice. Yeah. And uh, I came back from that weekend having stood in the field and practised singing and I rang my agent again and I said, no, you really are going to have to <laughs> phone them and say thank you very much, but yeah. there, there's no possible this was a nice way idea, um, that, that Emma is going to be able to sing Dancing Queen to any reasonable standard. <laughs> she phones me back. No, they still want to see you. Right. So, I, oh, well, you know, okay, okay. <laughs> so I go in and there's four people sitting there and they're all smiles and they're all delighted to see me. We have a lovely chat and then they ask me to move to the piano. Okay. And at The this, big moment. Yeah. And this is when the accompanist begins playing the opening bars of Dancing Queen and I start singing. And it was sort of like when pigs are killed. (laughs) It sort of was like that. It it was that bad. And when I looked up, none of them could look me in the eye. Absolutely none of them. And I looked at them and I said, can I just ask, did you think I was joking when I said <laughs> yeah. that I couldn't sing? And and they went, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, we sort of did, yeah. <laughs> Who's this in my face? Molly, Mo- Molly. Molly really likes men, Hello, and Molly. she really loves sort of to, getting trying, oh, in and you, licking whoa, your just ear. Wait the microphone. Okay, Molly, I need you to get down now, please. Can she we do this she later? Won't. She won't. <laughs> Come on, down you get. You stuck with her. You stuck with her. Um, so yes. So so I can't. So I so, so I cannot sing. Okay, but I can sort of sing in in a group scenario where I'm hidden. Hmm. I just nearly dropped Molly. By the way, that was she what was, I was doing. she was fine. She, she she's, okay. she's very rubbery. Yeah. Um, and um, I uh, 
knew Jess Robinson, um, who went on to be a contestant on BGT. And she's a phenomenal singer, but she's also a very good drummer. Right. And I thought, okay, because another thing um, I need to tell you is that that every year I give myself a challenge. And that year, the challenge I had given myself was learn to play the bass guitar. Uh, Okay. So... I was I was sort of new to it, but I, I was you know I was getting getting along, and uh, myself and Jess and another a woman called Lisa Ray, who is a, a performer and who's very good at music, and and she's in a ukulele group and and is a very good at the guitar. Mm. So the three of us came together and we decided that what we we're going to do for the um, this morning with Richard, not Judy reunion show at mm. the Lyric Hammersmith, our first gig. Yeah, um, was that we were going to sing. Um, <laughs> rocked up versions of tv theme tunes okay yeah so we, we did Which like ones? a punk we did a punk version of um a rupert the bear that was very popular <laughs> okay um things like that yeah yeah tis was um <laughs> pink panther anything that had any any do you remember when tv themes they used to have words yeah yeah i mean those were the days weren't they, they were I, days. I want those times to come back <laughs> And so how did you go about, you know, arranging and rehearsing these tunes? We, we booked a, a little studio that was somewhere in North London that absolutely stank of boys. <laughs> they tend it to be reeked. like that, aren't they? It, uh, it was extraordinary. I've never opened a door into an empty room before <laughs> and thought, OK, do you know what? If, if there was a perfume that was just called boys, this would be the smell of it. Yes. It was... It was they're very much populated by you know young was? men, it aren't was, they? It was, a, it was a dank, moist smell. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was. It was eau de sock. Oh, it yeah. was. It was a little bit like that. Okay. And so um, uh, we met up uh, once a week for about six weeks, I think, and, and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced, and then went home and practiced and practiced and practiced. Yeah. And then we did the gig. And how was your bass playing at this point? It, it was pretty good. Yeah. We, we, it was pretty good by the end. I mean, you know, I didn't muck up, so... <laughs> and how was, like, was the gig? It was really good. Brilliant. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Brilliant. And has the band It was hilarious, though. Since, or it was, that, hilarious. was it a one-off? It, it, it was... No, we, we played it... We, we did one more gig, um, and then that was it. Um, not for any reason, really, other than, like, you know, we were going this way, that way, and that way, and we didn't have time to get together. Yeah. Um, but it was brilliant fun. But at the Lyric Cabot Smith gig, um, we had actually no one, no one has ever knew this because we had someone. We had a very famous person okay. who was dressed as a gimp who danced <laughs> while we were playing. Right, and we didn't reveal ever who that person was. But I'm going to reveal it now. Okay, it was Melanie Gedroich. <laughs> And hilariously, she 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 was sitting um, in the front row in um, while we were doing the the run through rehearsal. Yeah. And and she said to me, Emma, don't sing so much. Just just sort of sing a bit quiet. You sing a bit quieter and let the other people sing because they they're proper. Sick. So I'm really bad at singing, but I, I I'm devastated because I, if there was ever somebody who was built to be in a musical, yeah. it's me. Just didn't have the the singing chops. I, I have actually once been in a musical. I, I, when I was at university, okay. I was in um, West Side Story, but I was the only character in West Side Story <laughs> who neither sang nor danced. <laughs> Imagine that. Did that tell you? Did that not tell you something at the time? 
I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I've, I've always been someone who I think is very good at recognising what my weaknesses and my strengths are. Mm. And I absolutely know <laughs> that I am absolute dog shite at singing. <laughs> okay. Let's I've t- accepted it. Yeah. I've accepted it, but it doesn't stop me dreaming. <laughs> Tell me about these challenges then. You were saying you set yourself a challenge yes. every year. So when did you start doing that? Oh, gosh, about 20 years ago. And what have the challenges included then? Last year's, cha- this year's challenge is I have to learn Latin. Okay. Last year's challenge uh, was I had to do a gardening course. Um, so I, um, because obviously I've moved to the country now, I've, yes. I've, I've left London. Um, and, and it was what, did you say three years ago? Three you, years ago, yeah. yeah so left you moved London. out of London and came to... yeah. Yeah, yeah much quieter to, to, part of the to world. To a little village in Surrey. Yeah. And um, so last year's challenge was uh, that I was going to do a, a proper gardening course. So I signed up with the, the Chelsea Garden, the English Gardening School, and um, and did the course. Got a distinction. Thank well, you. Well done. Thanks very much. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think it's really, really important yeah. to just make yourself do something that you're out of your comfort zone doing and and you're always learning i mm. think that's really important so why did you yeah why did you start that in the first place then i think because i really like studying i really love studying i mean if i could be a permanent student i mm. would be a permanent student but you know you don't get paid to be a permanent student <laughs> no. do you sadly unless <laughs> you're a, no i can't think of any situation where you're paid to be a Permanent student. No. I guess in, if you worked in research, I guess. Yeah, it's not quite the same, no. though. Not so do these challenges same. start on the 1st of January? Is it like a New Year's yep. resolution thing? Yeah, it's like, okay, you have to decide what, what, what this year it's going to be. Next year's going to be piano. Okay. And do they end I like the... to learn a skill. That, that's a, it's a combination of, like, I will dabble with a couple of languages. Um... But it's often a musical, in- just giving a musical instrument a go for a year. Uh, I, oh, a good one was archery. That oh, was wow. fun. I've, I've got a bow and arrow in, in the shed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is, do, these, do the challenges finish then on the 31st? Yep. Do you carry some of, is the idea that you no, carry not, them on or no, a lot of them you just no, stop on that day? it's just that's it. So has the base been gathering dust since that The base year? has slightly been gathering dust, but, ev- but every now and again I will pick it up and have a little plunk, 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 plunk. <laughs> a twang. Yeah. That's the technical term. A twang, <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I, was, I just remembered I was going to ask you as well, we, we spoke about this briefly before we started talking recording, but you've got your Lego Yes. You have the Batcave, the original, yeah. well, the 1960s Batman series, yeah. Batcave, Batmobile, and it's all set out on a very official looking Thank table you. with green Thank bays and a lamp. Thank you for noticing. This, it looks yes. like you're taking Lego very seriously. I, I, I am a bit cross that I've done Latin this year <laughs> because um, I only discovered at Christmas how much I love doing Lego. Um, I've got a nephew and um, he asked me for help with a Lego kit and it, it was it was like angels sort of a pit it was like clouds <laughs> the clouds parting and, and, a, and a sunbeam coming down and hitting me and and sort of ah! <laughs> moment where I, I had not appreciated how relaxing 
doing Lego kits. You found your kind of Zen. Oh my word! Activity. Because do you know what I think it is about? Do you do Lego? Well, I do. I have been doing recently because I have a three-year-old, nearly three-year-old son, and yeah, we've been doing a lot of Duplo in the last few years. And then yeah. recently, very recently, we've got the very the proper Lego kits, things like Spider Man. Yeah. I think I said to you before, I'm more excited than he is a lot of the time when I, we get the sets. I suspect you will be fine doing it with him as long as he's just watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're probably um, right. I, I, uh, I, I was at um, Red Nose Day and I uh, was standing chatting with Edith Bowman for an hour simply about Lego because right. she also loves Lego. Okay. She loves Lego. But um, I just find it incredibly relaxing I really love the methodical sort of just following the instructions, building it up. And it amazes me what what sort of, you know, manifests itself before your eyes. And also the brilliant thing about it is you can take it all apart and you can build it again. Yeah. So what sets have you done so far? You've got the Batman I've there. done Millennium Falcon. Okay. I've done the, the, the big walker, the the star oh, the big Star Atat. Wars with the Attack. Yes. Yeah, the big one. Um I've done a camper van, which was a very enjoyable build. If you uh, <laughs> the proper you, like VW camper van, yeah, it's really, really enjoyable build. Okay. Mostly because the interior is so perfect. Okay. It's, it's, you, you, you get curtains to put oh, up. I mean, it's just brilliant. Phenomenal. Um, Double decker bus, James Bond uh, car. I've done the BB-8. I do like the the, the Star Wars ones. Yeah. Um, well, they uh, lend themselves very much to the Lego, I guess, don't they? Because they're yes. actually... The Lego versions yes. are very similar to the real versions, aren't yes, they? Yes, but I subscribe to... Um, am I allowed to mention them? Because they are a yes, company. Go okay. for it. Um, I subscribe to a, a company called We Love Bricks. And this is, this is my top tip. If you're a Lego fan, hmm. uh, but Lego is enormously expensive and... Well, I think when you're a grown, you are longing to do really properly longing to do all the big, the big kit builds because obviously you know they're they're advanced and they're super, but they're so expensive. Like I really want to do the Death Star, but it's four hundred pounds. Yeah. You see, I can't That's, justify. I just can't justify it's a it. Investment, isn't it? Yes. Uh, but so what we love bricks do is you subscribe to them. You pay twelve pounds a month. And they send you a kit hmm. a month. So you get to do the build. You get the joy of the build. Yeah. And then you take it all apart again. Yeah. And you send it back. And then they send you another one. So it's perfect. So, so it doesn't have to live in your loft for the next 20 exactly. years. Exactly. Exactly. You're very lucky to see the, the, the Batman cave uh, because I am taking it down oh, uh, this weekend. Privileged. So that... So that um, guests can build it for themselves. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and it's the the green baize table. Is that was that bought specifically for the Lego? Is that it, already it, did that already exist? That is um, our jigsaw table. Ah, okay. Uh, we we bought that for one Christmas because we love to do a jigsaw at Christmas. But now it's all about the Lego. It's like <laughs> jigsaws out. It's the like window. whatever jigsaws. <laughs> <laughs> so what is have jigsaws always been a thing? I I do like a Christmas jigsaw. Yeah. I like puzzle. I like puzzle games, and yeah. I, I'm a bit of a gamer. Um, I, 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 but I like games like. Did you do you remember Day of the Tentacle? No. Oh, that was a super game. Like a board game. No, it, that was a, a PC. Oh, okay. PC game, and no, I don't it was that. that was a great game. 
brilliant game but that that was what it was sort of like a you know you had to work out yeah puzzles in order to advance through the game and there there is there's one moment in it where you've got to work out how to get some fake vomit off a <laughs> off a ceiling okay so it's very funny as well um but yeah i i always like things that are a bit sort of challenging so were you always like that was that what you were into when you were well i was i was an only child so i uh spent most of my time trying to keep myself amused so i think this is probably where this has all come from and why i'm 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 sort of feel quite comfortable being a a writer who spends all her time on her own during the day um apart from twitter obviously um, i was going to mention that but I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute um, i'm surprised you get a chance to do anything well in between i'm very tweeting. efficient i'm very efficient um and uh so what, when i was a kid i i would uh, i think i can't remember what the, the books were called i think they were uh they were either called know how or they weren't i spy books they were they were different but they there was a brilliant one of of where you, you could build your own games. So mm. I, I remember I made up my own uh, pinball machine, okay. things like that. And I used to love doing that. But I, I'm very good at sort of be, being able to just consume myself in, 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 in tasks. Yeah. And where was it you grew up then? Uh, I was the first year of my life. I lived in Corby, Northamptonshire. That's where I was born. And then we moved to uh, an, an estate, a council estate in Stevenage, in Jessup Road. Yay, Jessup Road! <laughs> and I was there until uh, I was six. Yeah. And then we moved to Hitchin, which was which was posher than Stevenage. Why did you move? By the way, those first move at one and i think move my mother had had aspirations she had you know she 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 wanted to leave the council estate and right. and go and live in a in 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 nice posh hitchin right. where what they did had your mum and dad do? they were teachers my mum was an english teacher and my dad was an art teacher right and uh H- hitchin had a had a deli in it which was unheard of in wow. the 1970s <laughs> i mean they made their own pork pies it was it was it was practically buckingham palace so that thrilled my mother and um and we were in one uh, i think we i think we were two years in one house and then we moved to the house that i spent the rest of my um childhood in hmm. and at which we only just sold oh, really? just this year yeah why was so that? we were there for over 40 years um well my mum my mum died and, and she was obsessed with that house and mm. there, there wouldn't have been a even the slightest remotest chance of 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 um, selling the house while mm. she was still alive um but it was too big for dad and it had an enormous garden so right and he's got arthritis in his wrist so hence so he's moved to a, a slightly smaller version of it now. Right. How's he doing? He's very happy. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so with the two of them being an English teacher and art teacher, were they pretty encouraging to you in terms of, you know, writing, art, that kind of stuff? My my mother, uh, I will credit her for being the reason why I'm so self-sufficient and driven I, I she sort of instilled in me from a very young age hmm. that nothing was going to be ever given to me. Nothing was ever going to be 
handed to me on a plate. Mm. And if I wanted to do anything with my life, then I had to knuckle down and get on with it. Good advice. Yeah. Like, I've had a job since I was 14. Okay. You know. What was that first job? Uh, it was working in a shop. What sort of shop? It was a gift shop. Okay. So I'm excellent at wrapping presents. <laughs> So that was part of the service. So I used to, to do lots of wrapping and things. Okay. And she encouraged you to work, did she, at that age? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so she was really of the opinion that you, if you want something, you've got to yeah, go out you, and get you, it yourself. Yeah, you go out and, and get no it. You, you make no one's going to No, you, you, know, you go out and, you, and you make it happen. And, and that's, I, stuck, that's and obviously I've, stuck with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm a hustler. <laughs> that's what I am. <laughs> And so what were you interested in at school? What was what was the ambition? What were the I didn't have dreams? any ambitions at school. No. It was quite weird. I've always been somebody who just rumbled along. Yeah. Um I didn't know what I was going to be when I was at school. Uh the only ambition that I had and I don't know where I got this from. I really don't know where I got this from because nobody in my family had been to university and I can only assume it came from... I read Jude the Obscure. I was, I was mm. a voracious reader when I was a kid, a quite precocious reader. Mm. Um, and I became obsessed with it. There was this, this bit in Jude the Obscure where Jude is sitting on a hill and he's come from a poor family in a poor background mm. nobody in his family have gone to university so you know <laughs> i'm slightly identifying yeah. with jude and he sees this little finger post and it's pointing towards the spires of oxford and it says thither i go <laughs> and given how badly him going to oxford ends <laughs> in that book yeah. i don't know if you know the book I but, don't but know it, the book basically well. his children hang themselves right. at the i mean it's the most miserable experience <laughs> Anyway, I just became obsessed. I just, I just decided I wanted to go to Oxford. What, how old would you have been then? I think it was about 16, right. 15, 16. And were you doing well at school to I justify that? I was doing all that? right. Yeah. You know, I was, in the, I was in the top class, but I was, by, I was only good at arts. Right. I was good at all the arts subjects and reasonably good at languages. Absolutely shocking at maths and science. Like really bad. Do you think that was more that you weren't just weren't interested, or? I think it was a combination. I, I I'm a great believer in if you've got the right teacher and you like your teacher, then mm. then you end up doing pretty well in those subjects. Yeah. And I, our chemistry teacher was having a nervous breakdown, so I was barely there. Yeah. Uh, hated my maths teacher with a passion. Um. And physics, it would mean I just I it was I may as well have just been looking at soup. It was it was I didn't under, couldn't even begin to grasp yeah. physics at all on any level. To the point that um because I had to be in because I was in the top set for everything else, I had to be in the top set for physics when I should have absolutely been in the bottom. Right. But I but I couldn't be for no. for um you know, schedule reasons. for administrative purposes. Yeah. And it got to the point where my physics teacher had obviously decided I was an absolute lost cause. And I was regularly attached to electrodes. Um, what? <laughs> to, be mildly well, as, as to be mildly electrocuted it, during experiments. Just you? I mean, 
I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't technically think that's allowed now. No, I think health and safety regulations have changed. I don't think that's allowed now. No. Wow. So anyway, so I said to my mother, hang on. (laughs) Send me a bit of coffee. So I said to my mother, um, I've decided I'm going to go to Oxford. I think that's how I phrased it. It wasn't, I'm going to try to go to Oxford. I'm going to, I think I've decided I'm going to go to Oxford. And she sort of took a deep breath. And bear in mind, this was the person who was the most, you know, encouraging person I knew. Mm. And she took me for, she said, mm, let's, let's walk around the garden. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she took me for a steady walk. I would call it a steady walk okay. around the garden. Yes. Where she made it pretty clear that I need, probably needed to temper my expectations. Okay. okay? So I go into school. How did you respond at that point? Though? Did you I, think, I just nah. thought, no, I'm still going to go to Oxford. <laughs> and I went into school and I told my teachers that I would like to drive for Oxbridge. And the, the, the first response was just someone laughing, <laughs> just, just outright laughing. Um, One of the teachers? Yeah. <laughs> just properly outright laughing in my face and i said no i now i do i i do want to have a go and then it was like well you know oh, well all right yeah. <laughs> you can only try you're wasting your time <laughs> yeah. um and uh and so i just knuckled down and i yeah. just thought right okay i've got i've got um a goal I've got a goal. And so and did you think at that point, right, I need to get three A's or whatever it is? Or, yes. Yeah, just thought, yes. that's what I've got to do. I just thought, I've got, got to get my head down, this is what I've got to do. Yeah. And, um, and I was sent off for an interview. And I did all of this myself, by the way, all of it. And uh, went to the interview, and this was to read history. Right. What were you doing for your A-levels? Uh, history, English and Latin. Okay. So you already know Latin? I do already know Latin, but I've forgotten my Latin, okay. so this is spending this year redoing yes. Latin. Um, and I, I was given a conditional offer. And so how, just to back, did you go on the train or did you, uh, how did you get there? I, I got my dad to drive me. Oh, okay. And here's the weird thing. This, this, this still spooks me out to this day. Hmm. Um, I went to... Uh, uh, so my interview was at St Catherine's College in Oxford, and um, as I was arriving, Richard Herring was coming out, <laughs> and we like had a brief chat. Yeah. <laughs> now that's weird, isn't it? It is weird. That is weird. Okay. But, well, this gets weird. Was your dad there as well? This gets weird. Did you and your dad and Richard Herring yeah. have a chat? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I go in and I'm and I get a conditional offer. So I run into school. Two A's and a B. Yeah. So I run into school and I literally run straight to the headmistress's office. Can you imagine what a revolting child I was? <laughs> Slightly revolting. See, this is the problem. When you're an only child, you've got no no boundaries yeah. in many respects. It's still all about you. With regard to adults. <laughs> so you just you say, oh, great, I've got good news. I must tell everybody. Yeah. And I ran to the headmistress's office and burst in. <laughs> I said, guess what, guess what? I've been, I've been offered a place at St. Catherine's, but I've got to get two A's and a B. And everyone's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, Amazing. So, so now I'm thinking, okay, I've, I've got to get two A's and a B. That's going to be really hard, but it's not impossible. That, mm. that was my 
thinking. It's not impossible. Just one thing. What was your, on the way down, what was your dad saying to you about the interview? Oh, was he, he, was he, he was very was he quiet. Very, very gentle, just like, he, I don't think, get your hopes I up think, too much. I think he just put a Billy Joel cassette on <laughs> and sang along to it in the hope that that, that might, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just so he wouldn't have to discuss what what might be about to happen. Yeah, the, yeah. the disappointment that was coming. Yeah, yeah. Did they genuinely they they didn't think you'd get Nobody it? Nobody thought I could get in. Nobody. <laughs> okay. Nobody. Um, and then disaster struck. I went to a disco, a village disco in yeah. Kimpton. 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 And I snogged. Uh, a boy. Okay. I'm not going to mention his name. Okay. I'm not going to mention his name, but okay. I snogged him. <laughs> and uh, a week later, I was the illest I have ever been in my life. Oh, no. And he had given me glandular fever. Oh. And it wasn't just sort of a little bit of glandular because some people just get a little bit of glandular yeah. fever and are just off for a week or whatever. I was off school for a month. And I wasn't properly well for a year. Yeah, my dad and, had glandular fever oh before, I think just after I was born, yeah. It was... And it knocked him out for months. Yeah, horrific. My mum regularly, they remind us about really, it. Really, really something yeah, else. Yeah, it's full on, isn't it? And, um, and my school said, don't do your A-levels this year. Just don't. And I went, hmm. no, I'm doing them. Stupid. And I fell asleep during my hist- uh, during a history paper. Had to be nudged awake so by the invigilator. The I mean, it was it was stupid. I should never have done them. Anyway, the the long and the short of it was, I didn't get two A's and a B. No, and I was devastated. And I wrote to um, St Catherine's and I said, "Look, I had glandular fever. Got a doctor's note, everything." Mm. And they said, "Look, we can't take you." But if you want to reapply next year, then mm. reapply. Okay. So there was a glimmer of hope. But yeah. that, so that summer, all my friends, of course, were getting ready to go to university. So that place had gone then now. It, it wasn't like they deferred it. That place had gone. Yeah. They said you could reapply though. Yeah. So they that said, must have been said, hard. They said, if you want to reapply, reapply, but, but you're not coming. No, we can't take you. Ouch. Not, can't take you on those grades. No. What were the grades? A, B, C. Oh, no. And my uh, uh, my parents had said to me, you know, shouldn't you be going into the um, clearing system and trying for another thing? And just something in me had died. Mm. And I didn't want to. And instead, I went to work in a hotel. Mm. And I was a washer-upper. Yeah. And just did, a local one. Yep. Yeah, and I did pretty well. And so they promoted me to vegetable peeler. <laughs> and I thought, I'm, I'm get, getting on here. Yeah, you're hustling. And, yeah. And I did well at vegetable peeling. So they um, uh, promoted me again. Right. Uh, to put me on starters and puddings. And then they promoted me again <laughs> to be a waitress. So that meant more money and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I was enjoying myself and I was earning money and I could afford to buy skirts from, from Next. Yeah. And I was thinking, all right, this is all right. Yeah. I'll just do this instead now. And um, I just thoughts of, of even going to any university just slipped away, just completely slipped away. Yeah, just because that was the goal. Oxford was the goal. 
yeah. but it just but i can't i cannot it, it it really genuine that the best way of describing it is something in me just died mm. and um it was early september and I bumped into my old English teacher outside a shop in Hitchin, completely chance meeting, and she mm. had retired um, before I had got ill, so she didn't know what had happened. Right. And she bumped into me and she said, um, oh, hello, you must be getting ready to go to university. And I sort of stared down at my shoes and felt a bit awkward, and I went, no, I'm not, I'm, no, I'm not, not going, so and explained what had happened. Mm. And she looked at me and she said, Emma, anybody can give up. <laughs> Giving up is the easiest thing in the world. Anybody can do it. She said, never give up. And then she gave me a number and she said, if you want to have another go, you come and see me and we'll sort it out. And in that moment, I realised that I had set myself a goal mm. in life and it was probably the only goal I'd ever properly set myself and I'd just given up on it and I felt ashamed and I will never forget that that feeling that I had inside me mm. when she walked away and I just thought I've really I've let myself down it's that proper thing of I have let myself down it's not I've let anyone else I have mm. let myself down and I went home and I rang her and I would get the bus to her house. She lived in a village just outside Hitchin. Mm. And um, she'd give me a cup of tea and a cake. <laughs> and we'd sit and we would talk about poems and plays. Because by this time I'd realised, obviously, that I was much better at English than I was at history. Right. And, um, uh, uh, and, and, and books and all of that sort. And then uh, she sent me back um, to Oxford. Uh, and at this point as well, I realised I didn't want to go to St Catherine's, and so I tried Actually, for a different. Why was that? I, don't, I think it was quite, it was a it was a mod, very modern nineteen seventies college, and mm. I wanted to be in an old one. Right, <laughs> yeah. literally nothing more than that. Yeah, and so um, she sent me off, and I, I went to uh, St Edmund Hall, which is has got the oldest quad in in Oxford. Yeah, and. Uh, I sat a paper there because they, they and they would I'd explained the situation and what had happened and so they made me sit uh, um, some papers while yeah. I was there and then I had another interview and I can remember I was standing in this ancient stairwell waiting to go in for the final chat with these three dons mm. and all that was running through my head was I just want I just want to make Mrs Gray be proud of me mm. that was it that was it <laughs> and um, I got in. Did your dad take you down again that time? Or yes. Did he? And here's the weird twist. Did the twist. Billy Joel kiss yeah. came, out, always, came out again? Always. <laughs> and here's the, here's the weird twist. Guess who my tutorial partner was? Is it Richard Herring? Stuart Lee. <laughs> was okay. Isn't that mad? How bizarre. Yeah. Incredible. So that was when you started, he was your tutorial partner, you mean? Yeah. 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 And I still, you know, I've I've done lots of things in my life and I've achieved lots of, of different things. And I still regard that getting into Oxford as the greatest achievement of my life. I still can't get over it. Mm. I still can't believe I'm, I actually pulled that one off. 
But I, I, I properly, properly loved it. And how did you find out then that you'd got the place the second time? Did they, they, they wrote to me. They wrote to you. So yeah. what was that like, that, that moment when oh, the, the letter dropped? The, the letter dropped and I... Were you mum and dad I, there? Yeah, and I took it upstairs and I shut my bedroom door and I sat on the bed and I just held the envelope <laughs> for ages and ages and ages. And... Um, it felt a little bit thick, the envelope. So I was like, "Oh God!" I, it, but it was, it was. I, I remember it was, it was so, it was too much to hope for because mm. after everything I'd been through as well, and mm. and the, the swings and the roundabouts of it all, and and being so ill, and and then opening it up, and the first words were, "We're we're pleased to offer you a place." <laughs> oh my God! Amazing. It, you, was, it was amazing. Did you go it and was see amazing. The, the teacher, the Mrs. Yes. Yeah. How yes. was she? Oh, she she was absolutely ecstatic. <laughs> it was just brilliant. Was. It was just brilliant. And she gave me, um, she she got me a present. She she got me uh, the uh, the book of Wendy Cope poems called um, Making Cocoa for Kingsley Amos. I don't know if you know that. I don't. It's a great. Great. She, Wendy Cope writes very, very, very funny poems. Okay. Um, so she gave me that as a as a well done. Fantastic. And so then, how long did you have before then you actually started? It was a, it was a year. Oh, so you had a full year mm-hmm. of then. Did you go back to work at the yeah the hotel? And yeah, and, and and I. But then and, you knew that you were going. It, so then I knew I was going, and I I worked my socks off. Um, at the uh, at the hotel, mm. so that I could, uh, and I basically paid for the next three years, right, with the money that I earned that year. Hmm. And so I just did that. Like I would, I did every single shift that so was you, going. You realised then, you're like, right, if I save the yeah. money now, I can yeah. actually pay for this. Yeah. Degree. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So I would do. I would start at six in the morning, <laughs> and I would finish at midnight. And I did that pretty much every single day. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And so what was it like turning up on the first day at Oxford? It was quite daunting, actually, because I'd been to a state school mm. and I was a little bit worried that... And I'd never been around posh people, ever. And I was a little bit concerned that that I, you know... Mm wasn't going to fit in was it intimidating it was a bit yeah it was a little bit it was um it it was fine sort of in within my college because um the other people who were in my english set were all really lovely and that was good and uh, so i made friends very quickly i mean i'm i'm quite sociable anyway yeah. so it's it's <laughs> you know uh, I've, that's never been a problem for me but i can vividly remember um, there was a do at the Oxford Union in the, in Freshers' Week, and everyone was sort of encouraged to go to it. And um, that there at the Oxford Union was the first. That was sort of the first time I, I encountered proper proper posh people Did from you feel- very you know, la-di-da uh, public schools. Did you feel like out of place or did, were you just kind of like, what is going on Well, here? I had an awful conversation with someone immediately. Right. And this this really mega posh bloke sort of came up 
and started chatting. I, I had a, 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 a friend who was really beautiful, really properly beautiful. She was like my best friend all through university. Mm. And he sort of weaved his way over to sort of have a go. <laughs> and um, he was trying to chat her up and she was, wasn't remotely interested. And then he turned to me and said, oh, what school did you go to? And I said, well, I, you, you, won't, you won't know what my school was because it was a comprehensive it was a state school and he just looked at me and he said oh god he said you know my my father has paid for your education oh, and no. i thought oh no and so i just looked at him and i said well how do you, you feel how, how much did your father have to pay for your education and i still got here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice comeback. but i mean what a what an idiot but i my my contemporaries there mm. were uh, david cameron um, he was there at the same time. Was Boris it? Johnson was there at the same oh, time. Michael Gove. Did you run Re into them Jacob Reese. Jacob Reese Mogg looks exactly the same as he did <laughs> back then. I mean, he it, like you would see him cycling around on his bicycle like something out of an Edwardian time warp. <laughs> did you ever see them like uh, any social things? No, I mean, if, if you went to a uh, a union debate, mm. then you would see them knocking around around there. Yeah, but. I can honestly say that, like back then, I mean the Bulling the Bullingdon lot were notorious mm. uh, when I was there, and everyone just thought they were absolute idiots. <laughs> and the thought that Cameron, <laughs> if you'd said to me back in nineteen sort of eighty seven, eighty eight, that David Cameron and Boris Johnson <laughs> were going to be the people who were ruling the nation, mm. I would have. I would have thought I would have I would have been prepared to put more money on drunk horses <laughs> being in charge of, of the I mean it's just extraordinary yeah. to me. You know I mean I don't know if you've ever had this but you know when you're growing up you hmm. you meet people and you you know inherently who are idiots yeah. and chancers and shysters <laughs> don't you? Yeah. And then you know you know people who are good and, yeah, and can be relied on and that, well they're very much in the former camp. Right. Okay. So who were you hanging about with them? Um, Stuart Lee. Yeah. Herring. Um, uh, Sam West was 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 um, it, it, one of my contemporaries. And um, David Schneider, Armando oh, yeah. Iannucci. So there were lots of sort of comedy people knocking around. Um, but other than that, I mean, my my best friends were they were all medics, right? Um, so that those were the people who I I spent the the most time. Why with. was that? Was that people that you were living with, or was that just the people that you? They were in they, the they were like the people who I, I um, there was one was a boy and one was a girl, but they, they were sort of my best friends at, at university. I just adore, still still they're my best friends now as well. Mm. So, so when did you start getting involved in the sort of? comedy well i did um uh, uh that started at, at university um there was i think within the first couple of weeks of being there there was um a competition called cuppers um which was a sort of a drama competition that uh, so you had to write and come up with a, a little play and mm. each college did and and that's what it and Stuart, um who was my tutorial partner he he approached me and said oh do you want to do um cuppers mm. 
And so we did that. And I think I I came up with a joke about Nana Muscuri <laughs> that I can't remember. <laughs> but he laughed so much at it. He thought it was really, really funny. Mm. Um, and on the strength of that, he asked me if I wanted to uh, come and be in a, a comedy group that he was starting with Richard Herring. And they yeah. were called the Seven Raymonds. So was, did he did he and Richard, did they have ambitions he, to he, be comedians he and, Herring, he and Herring, they didn't know each other before. Right. But they met each other, I think, at the Oxford Review workshop, which um, did stuff every Sunday evening. Mm. And... Um, and so that's what happened. I joined the Seven Raymonds, and and we 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 became like quite. We became famous within the university mm. over the the three years because we performed together for three years, and we went up to Edinburgh and did stuff like that. And I absolutely loved it. I I I didn't really do any performing at school. Mm. There, I mean, there were school plays and things, but but didn't hadn't really involved myself. I was more sporty at school. What sports were you into at school? Oh, everything. Uh, I was in the netball team, hockey team. I was in the athletics team, the rounders right. team. Got colours. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Congrats. No, thank you. Junior and senior. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, so you'd never really seen this as something that you could do or were interested in doing until... No. Stuart no. approached you and asked yeah. you to get involved. Yeah. <laughs> and I just really enjoyed doing it. I really, really what enjoyed enjoy doing it. What did you It was fun. Well, it was just fun. Mm. It was just fun. Um, and, um, and they, you know, and they were fun and it was fun to be around them. Um, so I enjoyed all of that. But interestingly, when I left university, it didn't even occur to me, um, that that would be something that I would actually do as a career. <laughs> mm. I just thought to myself, well, that's just something I enjoyed doing. Yeah. That's not that was what, fun. That, yeah, that was fun, but it's no, not no, a job. No, knuckle down. Yeah. yeah. But again, I think that's part and parcel because I'd had it knocked into me from mm. the age of dot that you go out and you do get a proper job. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so what did you do after? Well, when I le- well, well um, immediately when I left, I went to America. Right. Um, because I believed a, a six foot four young man with curly hair who persuaded me that on the basis of the fact that I had reasonably decent teeth and a nice English accent, yeah. that I was going to be able to get any sort of work I wanted in America. <laughs> okay. and so me and my best friend, uh, we got ourselves a Work America yeah. permit not Camp America, Work America, and yep. went to America with £350 in traveller's checks, no credit card. I think sort of 1989 was the last time you could actually go travelling and really muck it up. <laughs> I don't think you can do that anymore because most people have got credit cards and mobile phones and yeah. access to the internet, etc. But in 1989, no. I mean, the internet existed then, but but no one was actually using it. No one was using it. No. So we flew to New York, and I think because it was raining, we decided um, that we were going to immediately fly to San Francisco. So we (laughs) we spent 24 hours in New York, and it was all a bit overwhelming, so we just flew straight to California. Where's the um, man with curly hair at this point? What was what was his involvement? I think he was on a backhander from Bunak. <laughs> right, okay. I think he was the, he was just handing out the permits like confetti. Right. Um, 
So we'd fly, we flew to California and, and, and my best friend had a cousin, sort of an obscure cousin that lived near San Francisco. Yeah. And um, we, you know, to cut a long story short, it took us two months to find a job. And we were, des- we were properly desperate. Where and were you at staying? one point, we were staying uh, on the sofa of, of this, of the, of the this cousin. obscure cousin. But they were pleased. Oh, I mean, it was just a disaster <laughs> from start to finish. And um, uh, at one point, we saw an English fish and chip shop, and it had a f- help wanted sign in it. And we went running in, <laughs> yeah. arms aloft, going, We're here. <laughs> We're here. We're English. We know everything about fish and chips. We can totally, we can totally do this. We can totally do this. And the woman had just given the jobs away no. to two English boys. What are the chances? No. And we were absolutely crestfallen because we didn't. Because our flight home was from New York, so we couldn't even get back to New York to go home. So we were really <laughs> properly in trouble. Right. And um, and she's to cheer us up. She had a those. She had a bowl of uh, fortune cookies, and she said, "You know, have a fortune cookie." Uh, I think we'd looked a bit thin and <laughs> like we were a bit hungry. And uh, my friend took one, and it said, uh, "You have the constitution of an ox," uh, which was true. She she did she did, she did okay. have the constitution of an ox. She was always very very healthy. <laughs> and I opened mine, and I've still got it today uh sellotaped into my diary of the really? time and it said bad luck and misfortune will haunt you for all eternity <laughs> i'm not joking that was it there wasn't a, like a nice bit no, on the end of it bad that was luck it. and misfortune will haunt you for all eternity that is a harsh fortune it's harsh cookie. it was harsh um but we did eventually uh um i think like within uh, i think we we bumped into someone who who had been uh, at Oxford for a year from America, who was from San Francisco. Right? We, we finally sort of managed to get in, in, mm. in touch with her. And um, she pointed us in, into a, a... So I got a job with um, a, a soap company who were introducing aromatherapy products to America for the first time. Okay, wow. Um, and so I got a job sort of writing copy for to introduce aromatherapy to yep. Americans in the shape of soap. Um, and my other my my friend got a job working in a in a, a, a an ice cream parlor. So we did that for a bit, and mm. then we um, I think we we both did that for about six weeks, and then we had to start thinking about going back to New York. Mm. Um, and we sat and counted up our, our money and how much we had. Mm. And we realised that we weren't going to have enough to um, sleep in a hotel or anything fancy like that. <laughs> so we had enough money for a Greyhound ticket yeah. that would get us back um, and a tent. <laughs> <laughs> So I was dispatched to buy a tent. So I bought this sort of little two-person tent. We didn't have enough money for sleeping bags. Right. But we thought to ourselves, it'll be all right because it's really hot. Hmm. So we'll just sleep on towels. <laughs> and we won't need any covering or anything like that. So we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Yeah. We'll be fine. And what could go wrong? So the first stop, because we decided that we did, we did want to do something that was vaguely touristy. Right. 
So we um, decided that we were going to go to the Grand Canyon because we wanted to see it. And we had a lovely day. You know, <laughs> stood on the edge, shouted, mind the gap. That's yeah. what you do. <laughs> That's what you do. And uh, that evening, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? I haven't, no. Okay, so it is like enormous yeah. and it goes straight down. But uh, the, uh, the rim is basically uh, a wild forest. Yeah. Very wild forest and full of, you know, bears and <laughs> things that can eat you and, yeah. <laughs> and kill you and etc. So it's pitch dark and uh, we found a pine tree. Uh, that we're going to <laughs> that we're going to sleep under, and um, I turn to my friend and I say, um, "Pass me the tent. I'll put it up." And she looked at me. I said, "I I haven't got the tent. You've got the tent." And we'd left the tent in San Francisco. <laughs> I left my we'd tent left, in San Francisco. We'd left the tent in San Francisco. And, um And I. And we was like, well, what are we gonna? What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And we luckily we found some Germans who were in another tent, and they had a spare sleeping bag, so they lent us their sleeping what bag. Sleeping yeah, bag. so we just opened it out right. and put the towels down, and then like, okay, well, we'll just we'll we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll just lie here on the forest floor. It was like that Gary Larson cartoon yeah. where a bear is sort of peering round a tree and going, mmm, sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we go to sleep and I am woken in the middle of the night by a strange tugging sensation. Mm. And I open my eyes and I turn my head slightly and I can see the whites of my friend's eyes. <laughs> and she's just staring at me, open eyes, and going, don't move. Just don't. Don't move. And I went, what, what is it? What is it? And she went, just don't. Don't move. Don't move. And then something tugged quite sharply again. And I thought, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. And I turned round and a skunk was eating my hair. <laughs> because I, something else, we'd also, we had $2 a day to buy food. So oh, I think no. that evening we had bought two pepperami sticks and I must have rubbed my fingers through my hair. Anyway, so the skunk was eating my hair. Lovely. And at that point I did schoolgirl error and tried to shoo it away. Oh, at no. which point it stamped its feet, turned around and sprayed me full on. <laughs> And I don't know if you've ever properly smelt skunk spray. No. It's it's what I imagine, you know, when you see documentaries <laughs> and grossly overweight people have died in flats <laughs> and melted. <laughs> yeah. And no one's found them for weeks yeah. and they've melted into the floorboards. Oh, no. I, I imagine that it's the same smell. So... The, I, I discovered that you can't actually wash skunk, skunk, the smell of skunk spray away. You have to have tomato juice. You have to have a bath in tomato <laughs> juice. And there was no way that was going to happen. No. So it took, it, I just had to wait for sort of my skin to shed. <laughs> so it took, about, it took about three to five days for that smell to go Did you get away. get back on the bus? Yeah, I had to get about a oh. stank. And everyone kept going, oh, can someone's run over a skunk. <laughs> no, it was me. It was me sitting at the back. Did your friend escape the 
spray or was it yeah she didn't get hit she basically spent the next three days with tissue stuck up her nostrils <laughs> every time she wanted to speak to me just plugs oh, no. but yeah so it took uh, it that was that was a heck of a journey hmm. getting getting back to new york and we were completely at the mercy of as strangers it was it was extraordinary <laughs> but we when we sat on the plane we made it um we had five cents <laughs> <laughs> we had five cents in our pocket impressive yeah it's good budgeting it was incredible well no it's like we had this is what you have to when you haven't got a credit card and you yeah. absolutely know that you, you yeah, have this is you've, these are the days you've got to get back and and you just divide up what you've got and that's that Amazing. it's extraordinary so anyway so we got back and then um to get back to your original question <laughs> yeah. what did i do uh I my first job uh, when I got home was I went to work um, uh, as an assistant editor at a at a place called Chambers and Partners, and they were bringing out a, a directory on the legal profession. Okay. And in the course of doing that job, I thought oh, I don't think it was a combination of two things. I th I think I thought mm, being a lawyer sounds like a good job yeah and i wanted to be a student again right yeah back to the yeah. studying yeah and um and so i decided i know what i'm gonna do i need to have some purpose in my life i'm going to be a lawyer so uh i went to law school how far into the job was this by the way was this pretty early on or was it no i think i'd been there about 10 months okay I did that job. I was I was with Chambers, I think, for a year, and then I went to law school. Um, and of course, my mother was absolutely delighted <laughs> that she was going to have a lawyer for a daughter. This was like the best news Jackpot. ever. Yeah. And I uh, went to work for a very big uh, London firm, Where so did I did you study, my articles the there. I, it was I was in London. Oh, okay, right. And. Uh, so got my law degree, went went to work for a, this enormous corporate um, London law firm where you you know, if I'd the stayed there, I would have been a multimillionaire by now. <laughs> How did you find doing the law degree, by the way? Was that Within the first five minutes, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. <laughs> of starting the course? Yeah, but, one, but, but the minute you start, you've already agreed, you've already signed a contract of employment with a law firm. Right. So you're fucked. <laughs> So you, yeah, so you, so you do it on the job. Within, effectively. Honest, honestly, within five minutes of starting at law school, I realised that I had made a terrible, terrible mistake. What happened? But I now just had to see it through. What happened in those five minutes? I think the first—it was the first lecture was on trusts, trust law, and I just felt like someone had killed me <laughs> it was just like oh oh i i fundamentally misunderstood who i am <laughs> this is what's happened here i have fundamentally misunderstood the nature of my personality <laughs> and everything about me yeah. and this this is all about being just a dead face yeah. just a dead face who's very very serious all the time <laughs> that's also not what that's not who you are emma that's yeah. not who you are so 
I knew with I knew on the, that first day that I had to do two years at law school and then I had to do two years as an article clerk yeah. and one year as a qualified solicitor before I could leave. That's that because you would have had of, to pay back the yes. money for the course, yes. which would have been a lot. Yes, it was like going to prison for five years. Right. <laughs> it was like going to prison, but like having to deal with other people's problems rather than your own. Yeah. So um, I, I, I just got on with it. I was absolutely miserable. I think I put on about four stone went grey, um, looked the illest I've ever been. And, Did it um, get any better at any point or was it just... Yeah, I, I, left, I left the big firm and went to work for a brilliant firm um, who were called Stevens Innocent, which is the greatest name for a law firm you've <laughs> ever heard of. And if and if I wasn't if I wasn't going to love it there, yeah. then um, I was never going to love it. But they they were a really interesting small niche litigation firm that did lots of really interesting cases. So, mm. like uh, when I was there, I, I worked on the McLibel trial. Um, I worked on a, a, a case that, that changed um, the law on uh, the rules of self-defence for murder, mm. got a woman out of jail, um, had a brilliant client who chained herself to the gates at Buckingham Palace and used to write peace messages on American jet planes. On mm. you know, She was amazing. She was, she was a midwife from Bradford. She was absolutely <laughs> phenomenal woman. Um but I just, I just wasn't happy, yeah. you know, and people would come in with plastic bags full of documents and would sit down and rant for an hour. Because obviously I was a litigator, so you're dealing with people who are furious. Mm. And at the end of it, I would just go, oh, just let it go. <laughs> just let it go. It's uh, Honestly, I, I often think, actually, something that lawyers are... I don't do properly mm. is explain entirely that sometimes litigating is the worst thing you can do to yeah. yourself because yeah. I think lots of people think it's going to be easy and quick and it's not it's like you you can be looking at five years plus of your life about being furious with someone else yeah um, be expensive as well and I guess. you can say goodbye to any savings that that you had yeah. it's 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 wrong but it, it litigation really is for people with deep pockets and if you haven't got deep pockets then i think you have to really have a long hard think about whether yeah. or not you want to engage in in that it's tough yeah so there was one morning i um got on the tube and looked down it and everyone looked gray and ill <laughs> and um I just suddenly had this moment where I thought, I can't do this anymore, that's it. Had you done the five years now mm. by this point, yeah? I can't, I'm done, I can't I can't do this anymore. And I got off the tube and I went to my senior partner's office, who follows me on Twitter now. <laughs> nice. I, might, I must add. Um, and uh, I said, I'm handing my, my resignation in. And he looked at me and said, who the... Headhunted you? <laughs> I went, no, well, no one's, no one's headhunted me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be a writer now. 
And he said, what do you mean you're going to be a writer now? <laughs> well, he said, what, 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 what have you written? I went, nothing, I've written anything. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone thought I was mad. My, my mother took to her bed like she had some sort of Victorian illness. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine your daughter coming to you and saying, oh, I'm going to stop being a well-paid lawyer now because yeah. I, I think I might like to write some comedy things that I'd never done before. <laughs> But were you still in touch with the other... Excuse me, um, Molly's... Bar- is this yeah, Molly Yeah, off and on. Molly, off, off and on. They, they were... Um, <laughs> they, they were... They, they, were sort of, they were writing on... Um, I think they were doing uh, stuff on Radio 4 and, and things. I don't think they'd done Fist of Fun yet. Hmm. Um, but uh, actually, I have to say, I, I never assumed ever that I was actually going to just slot back into that because hmm. they for five years they'd been you know working on their careers and they were working with other people now and yeah i never assumed that you'd that stayed would, in touch with them though, yeah i'd stayed in touch with them yeah, yeah but i'd never assumed that i would just sort of rock up and go okay i'm back let's so what go was the, what was the vision did you have any kind of idea about what you would write at that point or at, was that, it- at that point i uh wanted to write uh books yeah uh, but that didn't happen for another 10 years. <laughs> what sort of books were you thinking of that point? I didn't know. Right. I didn't really know. All I, all I was focused on was just not being a lawyer anymore. Yeah. What and was it about being a writer then, do you think? Because obviously because I, do, I, the decision I to know. not be I, a lawyer I, was, I, is one thing, but then there's a whole world of what you could do, isn't I there? know. I just... See, this is the thing about me and my life in general is that I've sort of never known what I could do, but I've made decisions thinking, well, why not? Hmm. I've always done that. I think my starting position has always been, well, why can't I? Hmm. Because I can give that a go. So I I always think it's better to try something and fail at it than not try yeah so i i've always had a very open mind about things like that so i uh, so at the point where i was telling my senior partner that i was going to leave and be a writer i had no idea whether i had any skills in that department whatsoever (laughs) none (laughs) apart from a vague feeling that i might give that a guy could learn to do it yeah, that's yeah i could le- i always think you can learn to do anything yeah so i think that was my attitude so then what happened was i was sidetracked from all of this because <laughs> i decided one evening to go <laughs> to a uh an establishment called the double six club and this okay. was sort of like a restaurant you would book a table um, and you would be taken to your table and a menu would come, but the menu did not have food. It had board games on it. Right. And so you would order your board game and you would play the board game and it was great, great, great fun. So a group of you would go and... Yeah. Yeah. And the guy who was running it was called Steve First, who um, uh, has gone on to do great things. And he was... Uh, about to start a new venture that was called the Regency Rooms that was going to be like a throwback um, club, you know, uh, light entertainment Mm. um, club sort of along the 
the lines of the, the Brat Pack and things like that. And he said to me, uh, and we just got on. Mm. And he said, do you, do you want to come and do something at it? And I thought, well, all right, why not? <laughs> and so I uh, joined the Regency Rooms and I did two characters. I was uh, the bearded lady <laughs> who was very popular. I, I, I literally had just had a beard and these ridiculous glasses and a bicycle helmet <laughs> and, <laughs> and a really sort of horrible Mac that was done up to the neck. Yeah. And I was chained to the staircase right. and I would be released. Uh, every show, once every show was released to dance to Hawaii Five-0. <laughs> okay. And that was very popular. It was very, very popular. That's a- bigger it's a huge handbrake turn from (laughs) being a lawyer isn't it massive (laughs) and um and then from that um i then did a character called lorraine beige he was lenny beige and i played his um sister-in-law called lorraine beige so you're like improvising lines and stuff yes yes so so, and i I did a bit of singing can you even believe it yeah but but it was fine because lorraine beige was not a great singer so i could get away with it anyway this club the regency room sort of became like a cult and famous people were coming to see it Mm. um and uh mel and sue who were an up-and-coming double act mm. uh, they came to see it and so you didn't know them at this point i th- i had met mel uh, once in uh edinburgh, in edinburgh festival right um like but years previously years previously and i had met perks separately mm. in edinburgh right but pre- the first time i ever saw sue perkins i thought she was a tramp Je- that's a true story <laughs> It's a true story. She came up to me asking for a cigarette and I genuinely thought she was a tramp. (laughs) Did you give her a cigarette? I did give her a cigarette, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, at what point did you realise she wasn't a tramp? And I I actually sort of became friends with with, with them one one Edinburgh very quickly because um, Richard Herring hadn't turned up. I was supposed to be staying with him and he hadn't turned up. This is when I was uh, uh, like not doing anything much um and uh, i met perks again and and like and we got on really really well anyway mm. so they came to the to regency rooms yeah. and saw me doing my thing and then they uh said well we we're, we've been asked to do this channel four show um will you do you want to come and write on it so that was my first proper hmm. paid job was um writing for late lunch and was that for like continuous thing or was that like for no it was but 10 10 months 10, 10 months, months after i had stopped being a lawyer yeah but so i mean I how long did they ask you to come and work for them was it just it in was, terms of how that worked that, that was my first job so, so it, it was, was ten, job, it, it was, was 10 months yeah right I yeah see. so um i worked on that and really loved it hmm. and then we did a a, a live show I think we went, we went back to Edinburgh and we did this uh, show with Mel and Sue and me and someone called Geraldine McNulty and it was called The Big Squeeze. Mm. And um, and that was the first time I'd done Edinburgh since I'd been at university. Mm. So, you know, that was a, a gap of, I think, more than 10 years. And that Edinburgh 
sort of changed the course of my life in the sense that I hadn't really given any thought whatsoever to performing professionally, even though I was doing stuff at the Regency Rooms. Mm. Uh, that wasn't why I had left my job. I'd left my job because I wanted to be a writer. Um, but that show in Edinburgh, it was a case of right place, right time with the right people mm. seeing it. And as a result of that, I was then given uh, two presenting jobs on Channel 4. So now I became a presenter. Yeah. <laughs> and I did presenting for about five years. Um, did a chat show on ITV2 before anyone saw ITV2, but it was very irreverent. It was it preceded Graham, so Graham Norton, mm. and and we were sort of doing lots of things that no one had ever done on chat, chat shows what before. What sort of guests were you getting in, in on the Oh, it was show? called Soap Fever, so it was all people from soaps. Right. But we were we were we were absolutely irreverent to them. Right. Um, and would make them do terrible things. <laughs> um, and I, you know, we had like a, a, a live audience, and our, there was a, this little old lady who was in the audience who was called Millie, who I pretended was my nemesis. Right. And I would have running battles with her and things. So it was, it was, it was a very, it was ahead of its time. There's, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. But uh, so at the end of sort of five years, I just thought <sighs> I, d I didn't. I don't want to be a presenter. Well, I, it's not what is, you know, making me tick, whatever. Yeah. And I was sort of on the cusp of thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell my agent to stop doing doing this. And then my agent rang me up and said, "Oh, um, can you go and audition? Uh, someone wants to see you for an audition for a sitcom." And so uh, I went to it. And that was the smoking room. So mm -hmm. I did that, and and then I got um, I worked again with Richard and and Stuart doing this morning with Richard, not Judy. Yeah. So then for the next five years, I was doing acting jobs. <laughs> um, that was all pretty much you know comedy and things mm. like that. Was did and that feel <laughs> daunting going into sort of acting from being a presenter? You know, going no. into acting. No. 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 Just felt like a. It was it, na it, the next thing. I I've all, I've always maintained. I've said this many times that that acting is the most pointless profession for a grown up, <laughs> and I and I mean that. But uh, what I mean by that is it's just a great lark. Yeah. And that it, and it is. It's just a great great lark, especially when you're doing comedy, mm. and. Um, so I took it seriously, but I didn't take it seriously, if, if you get my drift. Yeah. And so 10 years have now gone by since <laughs> I've stopped being a lawyer. Were you doing any writing at this? No. In, in between? No. You'd like, no. That have been parked. It's just parked it. And I just thought, oh, do you remember why you left the law? You wanted to write books. Mm. So you need to go, you need to do that now. <laughs> and so I stopped all the acting and everything and i uh then started writing books and i've written 10 now yeah and so th that first your first book was you wrote a blog first didn't you yes i did yeah. i was writing a blog sort of when uh, at the very beginning when no one was really writing blogs so it, it was sort of unusual and did you know that that was going to turn try and turn into a no, book or you just did no it? it was a, that was an exercise in working out how to write prose right and also to work out what I had got to say. And it was also an exercise in, in I set myself um, 
rules in that I had to write 15 minutes for 15 minutes every day and I wasn't allowed to edit anything. Right. And it just and it just hones your writing skills. So that was that was the blogging so that you it was you set aside 15 minutes yeah. every day. Was it always at the same time or was it whenever think, you could? I think it was uh, after breakfast right. pretty much. Generally used to be. That's now my Twitter time is is the is the the, the little hour between <laughs> get up and end of breakfast before right. work starts. Um <laughs> And I wrote that blog not expecting, you know, anyone was going to read it. And then it, it became quite popular. Mm. And a publisher approached me and said, oh, we really love your blog. Would you turn it into a, a book? And, and at, first, at the first thought, I thought, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's just a blog, really. Mm. Um, and another publisher approached me to say, we... we um, can we do something with your blog? But I'd already said yes. The and this first is about one. your yeah. family holidays, wasn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. so the first book that was based on the blog, I don't really count as my first book because a, it's not very good, and b, it is really just a hash up of yeah. of the blog, and that was um, how to bring up your parents. But the second book was, which was. Um, the tent the bucket and me that's right yes um is the one that i regard as really my first proper book and that was the second publisher who who'd approached me about the blog said you know we love your blog blah 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 i said well no i can't do that but i'll 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 see if i can think of something else and that Mm. sunday i went home to have lunch with mum and dad and we just happened to start remembering our disastrous (laughs) family holidays <laughs> and we were crying with laughter absolutely yeah. crying with laughter at how shit we were at going on holiday <laughs> and i thought ah do you know what actually there i i this this could be it this could be the idea for a book so i went and pitched it and they said yeah we really like that and um and then i went back to mum and dad and I would interview them before I wrote every chapter and my mum had a brilliant recall of conversations and arguments that she'd had with Mm. people. (laughs) She never forgets an argument. (laughs) And my dad had a brilliant uh, recollection of, um, you know, just small little details. So that and the fact that we had uh, had a mass of brilliant photos. And Mike's my dad did enormous albums of every single holiday we went on so i had this great resource um but between us and it what was what was brilliant that used to happen is when i would be talking to mum and dad they would start recreating conversations that they had (laughs) at the time so it was like recreations in real time were happening (laughs) and i just had to write it all down um so were they excited were they nervous at all about these stories being in a book or were they excited about it uh i think that they were well i let them read the manuscript before i handed it in so i gave them you know a right to say no that yeah. don't put that in please that's embarrassing don't yeah. do that but they were you know they didn't take ask for anything to be um taken out and i i wrote it and obviously and and then it came out mm. i didn't even in my wildest dreams imagine that anybody else would be interested really <laughs> in someone else's family holidays and then it just went bananas Mm. that book 
went absolutely bananas. And was it, at what point then did you think... I still, every, okay. a week does not go by without someone either tweeting me or writing really? to me or emailing me <laughs> about that book. It's extra, it's extraordinary. That's amazing. So it must have really resonated with Yeah, really I think, I think it just, it was one of those things where it, it, you know, no one had done that before, hmm. you know, prior to um, the God Durrell, of course, <laughs> uh, writing about one family holiday, but... Um, so I suppose it it just hit it just tapped to the, tapped into something. So did you feel that you that you were a writer then at that point, or was it still you were still sort of thinking oh, I'm on my way to being? I. One. That's an interesting question because I think. I don't think I've ever written. Anything that I wouldn't improve now. Right. So I think you always get better. You you get better at knowing how to do it. Hmm. Um. But it's all that there's there's uh, there's nothing like the feeling of when your book arrives and you're holding it in your hands mm. and that's a thrill. Yeah. And also when you see it in a shop, that's amazing. Yeah. Um. So I'll never get over that. That that's always a great and permanent joy. Yeah. And are you? Is it that's what you do full time now? The writing the books, or are you still involved yeah. in any of the other? Um, I occasionally will leave the house in order to to put a costume on. <laughs> <laughs> but my but my rule my rule is um is that I have to want to do it or I have to really like the people hmm. that so um I will leave the house to do stuff but uh, writing is the reason that I get up in the morning and that's the thing that I I know what I'm doing and I'm I don't think of myself as um an sort of an auteur or I'm not a literary writer that's mm. not who I am what I am is I'm very good at being given a brief by a publisher mm. and delivering on it so, like uh, for instance, my next book that is coming out, um, that's uh, that, that's with Penguin. They they want me to write books for the um, uh, the women's fiction market, which is a market I've never written anything for. Right. So it's, a very, oh, so it's a very specific brief. So it's a very sense, specific yeah. brief. So you, did you go to them with that idea, or they came to you with that? It was. It was. I, I was. Um, I was approached to. Um, ghostwrite something for somebody that that didn't come to pass in the end. Okay. Um, and the editor of that project, I, I was I worked on it for a little bit, and then the 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 editor of of that project really liked me, um, and so then approached me and said, "Look, um, have you got anything you can pitch to me for this specific market?" And so I went away and I thought about that and came up with a few ideas and then mm. went back to her and go well any of these do you like any of these <clears throat> and she did so that's that <laughs> <laughs> so how long do you typically get how long do they typically give you to write a book you know what, what is the deadline that you're talking about from the moment they commission it okay so um i what happens is uh i like with my the book that's coming out 
this August and also the one that I'm currently working on now. The the first one's set in the 60s and the next one will be set in the 70s. So I would set aside a month for research reading Hmm. and then I will probably set aside two weeks to plot and come up with a a very detailed chapter breakdown Mm. then that will be sent to my editor and that will go through uh, an editorial process so let's you know we'd probably give that another two weeks to and froing and then what i do is i work out how many words they want it to be (laughs) and i get out my diary yeah and i look at uh you know, days where I know I'm working on other things. I write for I write uh, for children's television as well. Yeah. So I have to work out what days I'm doing that, what days I've got feasibly free for writing a book. <laughs> and then I divide the number of days, because they will have given me a delivery date. Mm. I divide the number of days between that the start and when the delivery date is. And then that tells me how many words I have to write a day. And then I write them. <laughs> and does it, is it typically, what's the sort of typical number of words Probably a day? Probably about 2,000. 2,000 a day, okay. Huh. Yeah. Amazing. And so you've done it. You've achieved the, the goal yes. when you left yes. being a lawyer to be a writer. Absolutely, yeah. How I mean, does that the, feel the, the, looking the, back the thing I'm The thing I'm proud about, I think, is, is the fact that since I, I left the law in 1997, I have never had to have another job. Um, in, in in terms of what you know, I I, th- I suppose what most people would call a proper job. Yeah, I've never had to have one. I I have managed to, um, you know, fund myself continually from that day till now. Mm. <laughs> from grafting, and it's you know, it's it's hard work. It is hard work, but but this is what I have chosen to do. And is that and I've, satisfying? I've worked, well, I've, I've worked back. out what I'm good at. Yeah. And I think I think a lot of people who are miserable uh, in whatever job they're doing, I think part of that is they don't know, they haven't worked out yet what they are good at. Because when you do work out what you are good at, you enjoy the job that you are doing, whatever mm. it is. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Well, you know that, don't you? Because <laughs> you were telling me earlier you, you used to be in IT. Yes, yes. I'm still trying to find, you know, what it is I'm really good at. But I'm getting there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're really good at sitting in comfy chairs asking yeah. questions. <laughs> I, do like to, I do enjoy that very you much. You are. <laughs> you're really good at that. Yeah. So, with that in mind, three questions yep. to finish that yep. I ask pretty much everyone who's been on the, the podcast. Now, you've already answered one of them. Yes. But this first one, I think... It's the first question, them, will you make me a mackerel and lemon risotto <laughs> with pea shoots? <laughs> well, yes, I will. Yes. I think you'll find I did that. That was delicious. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you. I don't usually get loads, so I'm very, very grateful for that. My pleasure. The first one is, do you have a routine that you always follow? Yes, I do. Okay. Okay. So I get up at about 7 a.m. This, yeah. this is this is sort of military, my routine. I get up at 7 a.m. I come downstairs. I make a coffee. I go into my office. That is when I catch up on all the news on Donald Bastard Trump <laughs> and whatever the hell is happening with bloody Brexit. Yes. And I will have a morning flurry of 
either furious tweeting where I'm in despair yet again at the absolute uselessness of everything that is going you on in the world. You're a prolific tweeter, I have I'm to say. Pro- I, I love Twitter. Yeah. I love Twitter. What is it you love about it? I really like engaging with people. Um, I make sure that my, my timeline is full of, of people who I violently disagree with <laughs> and people who I you know agree with and there's a mixture of the two. And I, I've, I, I've managed to have, make friends with people who I really, really don't agree with mm. on any level. But we have managed to, you know, have... <laughs> A level of because uh, I do think it's important, especially in the current climate, that mm. you. I, I think that that would you know the great Joe Cox that said we have more that that's in common than that divides mm. us, yeah. and I think it's also really good to have a healthy attitude towards people who have completely diametrically opposed political opinions to you, yeah, because everyone is entitled to their own opinion and you know i might be still an an ardent remainer and Mm. will be till the day i die and i can still be friends with somebody who is a a passionate brexiteer yeah and and that's the way we heal this terribly fractured nation moving forward (laughs) um so i'll I'll see all the news and then i'll i'll pick out some news stories that you know i might want to chat about then i have my breakfast then I'll have another cup of coffee. Yeah. Then I do my peak training, which is an, a brain app right. on uh, on my phone, um, which I'm obsessed with with, with keeping up with. It's just, it's 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 just an app. It's just like a game app. Puzz- oh, puzzles. Oh, so to yeah. get the mind get the mind going. What's so for breakfast, that. by the way? Uh, chopped strawberry, blueberries, a one chopped apple, and. Uh, yogurt every day every day without fail this is a definite routine is yeah. it? i like this then i have a third cup of coffee right. and that's just for sort of mopping up <laughs> generally answering tweets that yeah. have come in from my f- morning flurry <laughs> yeah either you know from people going yes i agree with you <laughs> or no you are an idiot <laughs> deal with all of those and um and then I sweep, have a quick sweep. Sweep. I pick up the dog poo outside from <laughs> the you garden. Say, you mean sweep inside have the house? Have a little sweep. Right. Yep. Then I pick up the dog poo. Okay. In winter, I set the fire and then I return to my office and I start writing. What time is that then? Nine o'clock. That's nine. Okay. Wow. That's a lot before nine o'clock. Yeah. Sometimes earlier, but it's generally I give myself two at two, a really nice, enjoyable two hours yeah. to have breakfast, do news. Or because I'm really into the news, I yeah. love the news. I love news. Um, and but do you have to when you go and sit down to write? Then do you have to go and sit on a computer or something with no internet? Do you have to physically oh, no, I take Twitter away? I have two. I have two um, screens. Right. And uh, that's so I can have notes on one screen and um, text on the other. Hmm. But but I always, always, always have TweetDeck open. Oh, really? And that's like being, have it sort of like have being in an open plan office. Right. Yeah. So the chatter is going on. So the chatter is going on. And it's, I find it useful. Like when I get, if, if I, uh, sort of find myself stopping in my writing and thinking uh, i need to just sort of 
think about something or stop or whatever, then I just have a quick look at Twitter, have mm. a quick chat with someone on Twitter, and then go back. Okay, so it actually is a help. Yeah, massive rather than help. A hindrance. Yeah, massive help. Okay, massive help. So I will write then until uh, usually eleven or half eleven, depending on how it's going. Then I take the dogs for a walk. Then we come back. Then I have lunch. And I watch uh, Politics Live uh, yeah. <laughs> and the news. Yeah. And then when the news is over at half past one, then I start writing again. Okay. And then I write till four. Then I feed the dogs and have a little walk around the garden. And then I'll write till six and then I stop. Right. And I do that every day, Monday to Friday. <laughs> Without that is, fail. That is a very detailed routine. Yeah. Yeah, and, I love routine. Yeah. And do you find that really helps to, to keep it like that? Do you find if you deviate from the routine, it has a negative effect on the rest of the day? I find that if I, if I don't get the day off to the right start, then that might put me in a slight fug for the rest of it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> or it might just knock me off a bit. But I, I especially when I'm in book mode, not so much when I'm in... TV script mode because that's a much faster process mm. but when I know I'm in book mode and I have a certain amount of time to do a very large amount of work in you've just got to be organised you've got yeah. to be on top of it and um, I am a business yeah. and if I was a shop I wouldn't be shut for four <laughs> days a week so <laughs> you know as far as I'm concerned Monday to Friday yeah. I'm at work yeah. um, and that also is important to me because then on Saturdays and Sundays it means I can have a proper family weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Second question, uh, you've, you have pretty much answered this but I'll ask it anyway in case you anything else you want to add but what is the thing when you look back over everything that you're most proud of? Oh, get, getting into Oxford yeah. still. I mean, you know, I've been in a Hollywood film. I've won MasterChef. I've won Celebrity <laughs> Mastermind. It doesn't matter. It, mm. it That is the one thing that I think was the greatest achievement of my life. Mm. Do you think that, just as a side point to that, do you think that has helped you in your life in the sense that you've thought, well, if I could do that, I can do anything? I think it instilled in me the never give up yeah. thing. Yeah. And I really that's the one thing I don't do. I never ever give up. You know, I have I have tried and failed many times <laughs> over the course of of my career. Uh, it's part and parcel of of what being creative is, you know. It, 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 you you pitch ideas, you sometimes will get script commissions. Um doesn't mean it's ever going to get commissioned into a series that mm. that's a constant you have to have a, a skin as thick as a rhinoceros you can get things away and then have them cancelled you just have to bounce back this is the business that i've chosen to be in yeah um it's about trying and failing that's it's a constant cycle of <laughs> trying and failing but being paid to try and fail <laughs> yeah um, that's the secret i guess yeah. keep getting paid whether, yeah. whether you succeed or fail yeah and and some books sell better than others yeah. and there is no rhyme nor reason to it you can't take it personally um 
you just have to i think especially when you're writing or or if you're doing anything creative Mm. you have to do it for yourself and if people want to come with you on that journey then brilliant if they don't it doesn't matter because you wrote it for yourself yeah Hmm. um and that's you know i've always and that all comes goes back to mrs graby standing <laughs> and telling me outside a shop in hitchin never give up <laughs> mrs graby did you a good mm. turn there, didn't mm. she? final question then what are you enjoying reading or watching or listening to right now oh well recently fleabag what yeah. a masterpiece i agree that series absolutely two absolutely incredible, incredible. and the the other phoebe Wallerbridge. uh opus killing eve yeah. absolutely extraordinary can't wait so, for season two uh, we'll give we'll give those a big whoop whoop <laughs> yeah. um in terms of other thing i'm obsessed uh with anything to do with uh emergency services <laughs> okay <laughs> I very much enjoy 24 hours in police custody. I think that's the lawyer in me. Yeah. Really enjoy watching that and sort of opining <laughs> on it greatly. Um, Dr. Pimple Popper is also <laughs> okay. a great favourite. Have you seen that? I've not. Is that oh, a children's thing? Oh, no, no, no. No? Oh, no, 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 no. It's, a, it's an American dermatologist. Oh, really? It's a- <laughs> who deals with... It's an hour-long programme. <laughs> And she deals with it. Generally, comes down to either cysts or lipomas. <laughs> and if you like squeezing spots, it's it's like porn. <laughs> this just really shows there is a, a market for every TV show. Oh my show, god, it? it's it's mesmerising. I'm not sure I could handle Dr. that. Dr. Pimple Popper. You can look look her up on YouTube. Okay, I will. Dr. Pimple Popper. It's sensational. <laughs> <laughs> what about books final one what are you, are you reading do you still uh, the, a voracious the, reader yes um i've just i've just finished reading heaps and heaps and heaps of book about the 70s hmm. uh but um on top of that the 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 best book i've recently read is one by deborah levy called swimming home which is absolutely breathtakingly brilliantly written hmm. It's beautiful. It's it's just extraordinary book. It's like it's a proper literary book that you sort of read and you think, gosh, mm. imagine being able to write like that. That's <laughs> that's amazing. I'm 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 not that sort of writer, you no. know. I, I'm a I'm a writer for hire. <laughs> but, but it's good. Know, yeah. I, it's, it's, I know what I am. I yeah. know what I I can do, and I I'm a writer who is hired to do things, and I do them. <laughs> perfect on that note emma many thanks thank you that was the brilliant emma kennedy there loved that conversation uh loved also particularly the bit where uh molly got involved uh that's one of the things that i love most about going to people's houses or going meeting them somewhere and recording the interview wherever because you never know what's going to happen uh those bits make me laugh anyway so thanks again for listening hope you enjoyed it uh, do get in touch if you've got anything you'd like to say or any comments please like and subscribe or do whatever you can on your podcast app um, just give us a five star rating if you can nothing uh, no one star ratings uh, but yeah creativeforcespod at gmail.com creativeforcesp on twitter you can also find us on facebook give us a shout we'd love to hear from you <laughs>